Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, October 28th, the day that the Vancouver Canucks get set to take on the Florida Panthers this evening at Rogers Arena, and it's a matchup that I think means a lot less now that Roberto Luongo has retired, and it's not like a face from the past is coming back for a friendly visit. I mentioned, of course, a couple weeks back when Elaine Vigneault and the Philadelphia Flyers rolled through town that you have to savor moments like that when a face from the past comes back because there aren't that many faces from the past left kicking around this team, or at least not when the past actually mattered, when the team was actually good. Yes, there are still uh, Eric Goodbranson's and Lucas Pisa's kicking around the league, but nobody wants to revisit those memories. We would rather let those sleeping dogs lie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, without Luongo, the Panthers kind of, I mean, I've never even heard of the goalie that they're going to be facing, presumably anyways. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky played on Sunday against the Edmonton Oilers. So we are expected to see backup goaltender Sam Montembeau uh, get the start later on tonight against the Caps. Maybe Bob plays two in a row. Unlikely, I would say. But that's kind of an interesting position for the Canucks to be in this year where they are not being given the respect from uh, teams coming through town or teams planning out how they're going to uh, play the back-to-backs as they swing through Western Canada. Uh, whether it's been uh, playing against Calgary or Edmonton, it seems to me anyways at this stage in the season that every time the Canucks are the second team on a back-to-back, they are the team uh, that is seeing the backup goaltender. I guess the Calgary Flames were... Uh, ostensibly the best team in the Western Conference, at least in the regular season last year. And uh, the Edmonton Oilers do have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and those guys are, I think, pretty good. It's safe to say, probably pretty good. Uh, So, I mean, it makes sense as to why Vancouver would be the team to get the backup treatment, uh, thought of as the lesser of two options uh, uh, between the two teams that – Teams are rolling through to face on these Western Canadian swings. It's just, you know, I like to think coming into the year, uh, did we think that the Vancouver Canucks would be better than the Edmonton Oilers this season? I certainly did. Strategically, however, they have not been treated that way as of yet. Uh, the Panthers coming into the uh, game with a, a kind of an interesting lineup, honestly. Sasha Barkov is now their uh, number one center with Huberto and Dadanov on his wings. And Brian Boyle is now a top six centerman in the National Hockey League. When did that happen? When did Brian Boyle become a scorer? I just remember him as being an exceptionally tall uh, penalty killer. Are there two Brian Boyles in the league? Hang on. I'm going to check on this. Give me one second. No, there are not. I thought there might be a chance that there was some young upstart prospect also named Brian Boyle. Because I'm looking at this depth chart, it does not make sense that the 34-year-old, soon-to-be 35-year-old journeyman centerman who has largely been a bottom six penalty killer his entire career would be drawing into Florida's top six coming into tonight's action against the Canucks. But that is explained by the fact that Vincent Trocek is currently day-to-day with an undisclosed injury, and he will not be suiting up for action and has been out of the lineup for uh, more than a week at this point. Also out of the lineup currently for the Florida Panthers as far as injuries go, defenseman Mike Matheson, a name that you will be all too familiar with as the gentleman who uh, hit Elias Pettersson last year with a Uranagi suplex, basically just 
destroyed him with a uh, choke slam esque wrestling move, dropped him on his back, and uh, handed Elias his first significant injury of the two he suffered over the course of his rookie campaign last year. So, no, there will be no grudge match against Mike Matheson tonight on the ice at Rogers Arena. And I don't think there would have been even if he was drawing in. I'm sure it would have been a point of interest for some Canuck, perhaps, to maybe try and take a run at Matheson. But I believe that bad blood has uh, simmered down significantly, I would imagine. I don't think this is a game that is emotionally going to get out of control. But having said that, I imagine it's now just going to be an absolute bloodbath just so that I can be as wrong as possible, uh, given that's the way the universe tends to work sometimes. Anyways, we shall see. On the Canucks side, however, there are some interesting lineup developments. Uh, There was an injury that took place during Friday's game against the Washington Capitals. An injury that we were not made aware of until Sunday afternoon. Tyler Mott blocked a shot against the Caps on Friday night and has suffered an undisclosed lower body injury that will keep him out for at least a week, possibly longer. Travis Green did not have a firm timeline to give on that. In fact, most of what Travis Green's media availability uh, was taken up by was a question from Jeff Patterson. Going back to Friday night's action and the quotes that Travis gave immediately after the game, his firm belief that his team played actually very well against the Capitals and just got unlucky, caught some bad breaks over the course of that game. Instead of hashing out J-Pat's question and Travis's answer for you, why don't I let you listen to it yourself? You come out after a game, it's been 10 minutes. You, yeah. You know, your tone the other night was you clearly indicated you weren't happy that a 5-1 lead got away, but at oh. the same time, you know, you presented that you guys had done a lot of good things to get a 5-1 lead, and even in that third period, that there was still a fair bit to, like, I'm sure you've had a chance to review the film. Mm-hmm. That, like, does that, did, did it reinforce that, like, you played reasonably well and just kind of... We all chanced them 5-4 to four in the third period. We gave up six shots. Um, you know, some night, sometimes when you blow a lead, you feel like you're underwater. It didn't feel like that in that game. Um, and we've had that in the past, I think, with our group where we've felt underwater and blown leads. And that happens in the NHL a lot, or like Koo said, has been happening more. Um, you know, after the timeout, I think we outchanced them 4-1 to one in the last 12 minutes of the game. Um, you know, I, I, after I watched it, I, I was pretty sure what I said 10 minutes after the game was, was that was how I felt was correct and sometimes you say things after the game and you look at the tape and you're and you're wrong and uh, this particular game uh, yeah that's a good team we're playing too uh, you give them an inch they take a mile sometimes and um, yeah we made a couple of mistakes little tiny mistakes on some of those goals uh, you know the power play goal you probably or the shorthand goal you'd like to have back I'm sure those guys would and uh, you know maybe I should have called a timeout after the power play goal and just kept our power play out there. Uh, contemplated even after the fourth goal to call a timeout, but I, I really felt like it wasn't a game where our team was reeling. Um, and then after the fifth one, I, I, you know, we obviously called it. And even in the New York game, that was a game where there was so, there was like an eight minute, nine minute span where there was no whistle, and we felt like we were underwater a little bit in that that time. And then when there was a whistle, I couldn't call a timeout because there. There was an icing call, and you can't call them then. So, uh, you know, you go back and you look at the game tape. I, I, the Ranger game, we were, 
you know, we were reeling that game, and I thought we were a little tired that game. And uh, this game was, you know, if you didn't watch, look at the score, that was one of our better games. And you're, you're pissed off, and I am still. It, you know, the last two days, you've been thinking about that game a lot, but you learn from it, and, and you got to have your, you know, our, we haven't talked to our group about that game a lot yet. Uh, I think they feel good about themselves, and they should. Since the first two losses, they've been playing, well, even those two losses, they've played pretty well. So uh, we get ready for another uh, good game tomorrow. And they will get ready for that game by reinserting a familiar face back into the lineup, one we haven't seen in a little while here. I'll tell you exactly who it is after this. That old familiar face coming back into the Canucks lineup, taking the place of an injured Tyler Mott on the fourth line, drawing in on the wing alongside Jay Beagle and Tim Schaller is none other than Louis Erickson. Yes, the $6 million man, the ghost himself. <laughs> Little Things Louie is back in the lineup for the first time since opening night. He played the season opener thus far this year, and that's it. That's all. That's been it for Louis Erickson. I think most people have been pretty happy about that. But the reason that he's sitting around in the press box waiting for his opportunity instead of riding the bus down in Utica is, well, first of all, sending him down there might create a bit of a log jam as far as veteran forwards go with the Utica Comets. But also, uh, look, I... <laughs> As down as we all are on Louis Erickson and as hot a start that James Neal has had to start this season, going back to the summer when the rumors of the Neal for Lucic swap were circling before the trade itself was actually made official several days later, a topic was floated around here in Vancouver, something that I played around with uh, on the radio with uh, my friend Jamie Dodd as well on Sportsnet 650. You know, this idea of... Of the three bad contracts in the Pacific Division, or I guess, uh, yeah, it's the Pacific Division. I was going to say the old Northwest Division. But the three Canadian teams out west here of Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, all three of them had dead money tied up in big contracts this past summer. Uh, two of those contracts were swapped for each other. The other remains here in Vancouver. At the time, however, I was thinking to myself, of the three contracts, Lucic, James Neal, Louis Erickson, which would you rather have? They're all bad, of course. You're, you're forcing yourself to take a poison pill on this one, and the question is, which pill is the least poisonous? At the time, in the summer, before it was revealed that Neal's problems in Calgary might have been entirely uh, kind of a friction between player and coach and that he's not as bad as perhaps he looked for the entire season of last year, uh... I was inclined to pick Louis Erickson because, yes, is he the scorer that we expected him to be when he signed the contract and when he came in to much fanfare as this possible Sedin line mate in the final few seasons of the Twins uh, as they, those three had played together in Sweden and that was teased as, uh, you know, great chemistry shown on the international stage that will surely translate. It never translated, and he's never been an offensive threat for this team. He's not for one single second lived up to that contract, which is why when we compare that contract to Tyler Myers, Tyler Myers looks fantastic. Uh, he looks even better than he does just on his own because Myers has been very good this year, but he's living up to his contract right now, at least for the very least, something Louis Erickson never once did at any point. But even removed from how disappointing Erickson has been, he at least plays a baseline acceptable NHL-level defensive game. He is a 
he's a quality or at least decent fourth-line winger at this stage in his career, if you can accept a fourth-line winger who does not smash and bang and, and you know, provide a physical presence that you might look for in a guy playing that kind of style. He is essentially a $6 million version of Brendan Gauntz, a guy who I thought was actually pretty good in his time in Vancouver and got uh, misused and, and misjudged, I think, by the market and perhaps by his coach as well, because Brendan Gauntz was going to go out there and play largely event-free hockey, which is actually pretty good for a fourth line considering they just go out there to soak up minutes that you're star players are not on the bench you don't need uh you know your fourth line to be scoring a bunch you just need them to not be getting scored on Brendan Gauntz was doing that when he was in Vancouver he was playing an almost dead even game or you know it's probably better than that actually I'd imagine that his line was scoring a lot more than they were letting in and that can be the case for Louis Erickson as well he's not going to score a ton but he does Yes, the little things well. He does, you know, retrieve pucks along the boards. He's not going into the dirty areas to score the kind of mucker goals that got him 30 when he was playing with the Bruins and when he was playing with Dallas before that. But he is still doing the things along the perimeter anyways that add up to strong defensive hockey, the kind of things that we praise Josh Levo for, the kind of things that we want to see more from Jake Vertanen and maybe have seen a little bit more from Jake over the course of this year. If he is in a depth role, if he is you know a fourth-line winger, maybe third line in a pinch if we really run into some injury problems here over the course of the year, he is totally acceptable in that spot. You just wanted to think over the course of the year and over the course of this offseason anyways that this team might finally have depth where there's just no place for him at all. Unfortunately, uh, some of that depth is down in Utica and some of those signings that may have forced him out of the lineup altogether, like a Michael Furland, are not looking good at all at this very moment. But Louie was asked on Sunday morning about uh, practicing with that fourth-line duo of Schaller and Beagle and uh, how he fits in with those guys and exactly what it's been like for him to have to watch as this team plays pretty well through their opening 10. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I've been practicing hard every practice. Uh, I haven't played many games lately, so uh, uh, for sure we'll see how, how the lineup is going to be tomorrow. But uh, uh, I've played with them before, so uh, it should be good. How difficult has this been, uh, Louis, not playing since the first game? Uh, it's always obviously pretty tough. Uh, I mean, it's nice to see that the team is doing so well and, and winning games, and uh, uh, yeah, they're playing real well. So. Uh, all you can do is just try to work hard in the practice and, and stay in shape and, uh, and get ready when uh, you get the opportunity again. It's one thing to say it. How hard is it to do, Louis, just to stay focused and practice and wait for your chance? It can't be easy. Uh, no, it's a, it's a different situation for me. So, uh, of course, it's not easy. But uh, all you can do is just, I mean, uh, work as hard as you can in practice and uh, even off ice and uh, just try and get better as well and uh, get ready when, when you get the, the chance to play again so uh, that's what I've been trying to do here and uh, been having a few hard practices every day and just uh, been, been in the gym a lot and uh, uh, it's been uh, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm ready. Erickson essentially repeating what Green said when asked about uh, Louis possibly reinserting into the lineup as well. I uh, didn't play that part for you because yeah, the player said essentially the same thing. It's probably more interesting coming from the player himself. And, uh, I mean, it's true. They have been very good. They The team has played very well 
through their opening 10, and that is why there has not been an opportunity uh, for him to draw back in. That Now, there have been major problems on the third line and the second line, uh, but those problems are not solved by a Louis Erickson, as I have said multiple times over the course of the last several weeks. So, you know, that's not an opportunity for him to draw back in. And as Nathan Cadell pointed out when I had him on the show last week, optically, the team does not want to scratch a Michael Furland at this stage in the season when they've just committed big dollars to him over the course of the next four years. Uh, they are not in a position where they want to uh, say that this guy's so bad at the moment that he can't even crack our lineup 10 games into the first year of this contract, even if that might be the case. Optically, they just don't want to do it. Um, so, yes, Louis Erickson, you know, it, it's he's he's... He's not so bad that he should only play one or two or three games over the course of the entire year. He's he's not great, and he's not living up to the value that has been sunk into him, obviously, and it would probably help this team an enormous amount if he simply retired from the NHL or uh, pulled a Dave Bolland and acted like his back hurt him so badly that he just won't be able to play anymore, faked an injury so he could go on to LTIR and uh, he, you know not have to retire and, and not receive that sweet, sweet paycheck for the rest of uh, the duration of his contract. So would that help the team enormously? Absolutely it would. Until that happens, until such a time as Louis decides he does not want to play hockey anymore. And look, what a tough thing to be in. And this this is not – you cannot hang this contract on the player himself. It's If this was offered to anyone, you know, even – say you right now, knowing that – you know, you can't play hockey hardly at all, or, or even if you play beer league, you know, you're not nearly good enough to play at the NHL level. If you were offered a $36 million contract, you would be stupid to say no to it. It would change your life, that amount of money. Uh, anyone would say yes to that. Anyone at all. Uh, you cannot uh, put that on the player. That contract is entirely on the GM that offered it and the owner that approved it. Uh, it is not Louis Erickson's fault that he is a massive albatross uh, for this franchise for the next several years. He did not offer himself that contract. But it does present an interesting dilemma because the only way that you can you know, continue to receive that money is to decide that you no longer want to play hockey at all. And if you do want to play, then you would step away from that money altogether. And we're only halfway through this contract, so Louis still owed another $18 million. So that's a not at all insignificant amount of money that is, you know, talking about the money that the team has invested into Michael Furland over the next several years. His entire contract doesn't even measure up to the next three years for Louis Erickson. So Louis would have to, uh, you know, go on unconditional waivers for the purchase of, uh, for the purpose rather, of the contract being voided altogether. And that's a pretty sizable decision to make as well if you want to play hockey again on a more affordable contract for a different team or perhaps in a different league back in Sweden. You, you have no idea. I'm sure that this guy's passion and fire to play hockey is not gone altogether. Otherwise, he would simply walk away and, and call it quits and call it a career or fake an injury like I just laid out. You know, it's it's a tough dilemma for a guy in his spot. And I don't want to feel too sorry for him because he's making more money than I will ever sniff in my entire lifetime. But, you know, as, as much as we dogpile on Louis Erickson and his uh, abysmal play and, and the fact that he brings absolutely nothing to this team. Yes, all of those things are true. You can still feel some modicum of sympathy 
for the situation that the man finds himself in because I'm sure it's hard to be on the outside looking in all season long as well to go nine straight games without playing hockey uh, when it's your your passion and in your career. You know, uh, it's I don't know. It's 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 not. You know, I I'm not crying over this for him. I'm not shedding a tear for him, but. It's an interesting situation to find yourself in, and and you again I want to reiterate, you cannot blame the player for ending up in that spot. Now, while Louis Erickson might not be the guy who can offer any sort of help or solution into the turmoil that's going on in this team's middle six right now, it's second and third lines. A call-up from Sunday just might be able to do the trick. Yes, Adam Godet went down to the minors played at most one, possibly two games for the Utica Comets, scored a goal, in fact, in a 2-1 overtime victory for the Comets on Saturday where they played their worst game of the season and still came out with a win because that's what happens when you have a number of NHL players playing down in the AHL. Even when the team plays bad, they're still going to come up with a win. He gets a goal. He helps his team on to a 2-1 OT victory, and he gets called right back up to the show. Now, I hope, because he got called up, that this is not just going to be we need an extra body as we head back out on the road for a California swing after this Florida game. I really hope that Travis Green is taking a good long look at the problems plaguing his second and third lines. And and really, it's a problem plaguing his, his third line pretty much exclusively. To try to help out that third line, he has done a full switcheroo with the wingers that uh, Bo Horvat and Brandon Sutter are playing with. I mentioned this a little bit on the, the show the other day on Saturday, uh, breaking down the game, of course, that was played on Friday night, that the, the wingers had completely swapped. Tanner Pearson, who had been the one stable, the one constant as a winger for Bo Horvat all season long, got put down to the third line to try and stabilize what has been a very problematic third line with Brandon Sutter at center and uh, currently Josh Levo on the opposite wing. Uh <laughs> That did not work very well on Friday night. It did not work well at all because uh, Brandon Sutter is just not a very good center. He cannot center this third line. The only time, look, I've softened a little bit on Brandon Sutter to start the year. He had a decent start to the season, and he looked actually quite good playing wing to Adam Gaudet. I've said this many, many times. Daryl Keeping had a tweet the other night on uh, Friday, I believe, in fact, after the Capitals came all the way back to beat the Canucks 6-5 uh, to five in the shootout, Daryl Keeping tweeting, Since Travis Green took over, when the Canucks are leading, they have the fourth worst shot share, the worst expected goals for percentage, and the second worst scoring chance percentage. Regardless if Green thinks this team sits back or not, this is a major problem. Now, to be clear, that is not just... Uh, this is comparing the Canucks when they are leading to every other team in the league when they are leading as well. And I think the reason why those stats are the way they are is because when the Canucks have a lead and are trying to protect the lead, they are protecting that lead by rolling out lines led by Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle again and again and again. And as I said, coming into the year when I was so upset about the way the cuts went down uh, before the regular season started, you can have one of those guys at center. You cannot have both. And I was optimistic a little bit about Brandon Sutter perhaps finally being healthy and being able to have a positively contributive season this year. 
uh, but it has not been there the last little while. The problems that have consistently plagued this team's third line have been really even worse this season than they typically are because you're also throwing uh, a unbelievably awful Michael Furland into the mix as well. Now, Jake Vertanen has been a depressive influence on shot share on every single line he's been put on, whether that's Bo Horvat's line, whether that's Brandon Sutter's line, whether that's Jay Beagle's line. Every line he gets put on uh, shoots the puck less and, and has less opportunities, I guess, in the offensive zone than when he is no longer with them. But that is a player that I think Bo Horvat can overcome. Bo Horvat is good enough right now that he can, you know, overcome whatever deficiencies Jake Vertanen has in his game. The pros to Jake Vertanen's game are are fitting enough with what Horvat does on a night in and night out basis that he can overcome that sort of thing. He cannot overcome uh, having Michael Furland on his opposite wing as well. He cannot overcome both of those wingers at once. It's one or the other. And you could say the same thing that Brent to, about Brandon Sutter, that it's not fair for him to have those wingers either. But he himself is part of the problem as well when you look at those numbers that Daryl outlined. Again, fourth worst shot share when leading, worst expected goals for percentage when leading, second worst scoring chance percentage when leading because they do not press the issue they try to protect and they do that by putting out their quote-unquote defensive stalwart centermen on the ice who quite frankly are not very good at the thing they are supposed to be good at it's been said many times it's been written in great detail by Daniel Wagner of the Vancouver Courier Brandon Sutter is not a third line shutdown centerman we we have to stop expecting that that's what he can be and playing him that way and putting him in that role and intentionally, you know, I guess unintentionally, but really intentionally, tanking your own third line's chances of success like that and watching the effects bleed out onto Bo Horvat's line vis-a-vis -vis his wingers as well is like drinking bleach and then watching it corrode you from the inside out because make no mistake, this team has problems. They are in the middle six right now. They are no longer on defense. They're not even in the bottom six. They are Bo Horvat's wingers and the third line. And uh, that third line wasteland that we've talked so much about just continues to spread. Uh, it's like a swamp that is growing and growing and growing and swallowing more of uh, this team's productivity as it does so. Now, good news for Bo Horvat. He does not have to deal with Michael Furland uh, heading into tonight's game against the Florida Panthers. It is expected, if we go by the practice lines from Sunday morning, that Horvat will be skating with Tanner Pearson once again, and Jake Vertanen will remain the other winger on uh, the right side for that trio. Uh, Furland, Sutter, and Levo is the third line. Schaller, Beagle, Erickson rounding out the forward group on the bottom end. And, of course, up top it is that trio who has been so strong. J.T. Miller, Elise Pettersson, and Brock Besser. In the goaltending position, I think you can bet on seeing Jacob Markstrom taking on his former club. And it will be a Jacob Markstrom who will be extremely fired up extremely motivated to have a big-time bounce-back effort after he was livid, absolutely furious on Friday night uh, regarding his own performance. Like I said in my game review after Friday night's uh, action, we all need to give Jacob Markstrom a break on that one. We we cannot uh, uh, be hard on him, I don't think, given all that he's done so far this year and what he's going through personally at the moment. 
He does not deserve criticism. He does not deserve scorn. It was one game. And, you know, as much as Travis Green might be trying to put a positive spin on the comments you heard from him earlier on in the program today, uh, he is right. The team has largely played very well over the course of the first 10 games in the season. It's only been 10 games, but the Canucks are 6-3-1 and one on the year. That is not a bad record at all. They are a lot of fun to watch this year, and the expectations, frankly, have changed. You know, I think Moj pointed this out in Travis's presser on Friday night that uh, different versions of this team, previous iterations of this team last year, the year before, you know, several of the years under Willie D before that, the team would have been thrilled to get even a single point against the Washington Capitals. That would have been a moral victory. This year, however, the expectations are different. There are no moral victories. This team wants to make the playoffs and they have the hunger and the drive, I believe, to at least make a significant push to get there. We'll see if that playoff push continues with another two points against the Florida Panthers later on this evening. I will be back with you tomorrow morning, bright and early on Tuesday, to break it all down for you after the fact when it's all said and done. I hope you enjoy the game this evening. You may have noticed there was no uh, show yesterday. That's because I hope you enjoyed your Halloween Saturday night. I enjoyed mine so much that there was just no way I was going to be awake to record a show on Sunday afternoon before I had to be working uh, the board for the Vancouver Giants uh, on Sunday evening at Sportsnet 650. My apologies for that, but to make it up for you and to make sure I don't receive any extra lashings from my podmasters, that just means there's going to be six episodes of the show this week. So uh, only one day off this week, and uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing even more of me than you already do. I'll be back with you tomorrow once again, as I said, to break down tonight's game against the Panthers. Until tomorrow, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.